Hello, and welcome to the Pet Wellness Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Bonder, a veterinarian with a passion for all things pet, experienced in holistic medicine, pet training, and you guessed it, pet wellness. This is a show where we not only talk about pet problems, we give solutions and suggestions for optimizing your pet's health. Each week, you'll hear thought-provoking advice and interviews, as well as actionable tips you can implement in your daily life. And now, here's your host. Hey there, I'm Dr. Mike, and you're listening to the Pet Wellness Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's episode is really exciting because we're going to be talking about a style of veterinary medicine that has really blossomed when the COVID lockdown started. But even after the restrictions have been lifted, I believe that this type of medicine is here to stay. I'm referring to telemedicine, which in a nutshell is practicing medicine remotely, either via video or phone. And today I'm going to be talking about the advantages and disadvantages to telemedicine and how this type of medicine can help you as a pet wellness advocate and how it fits so well with the way that I now look at veterinary medicine. Unlike previous podcasts, I'm going to start off today by talking about the disadvantages first. And probably the biggest disadvantage of remote veterinary medicine is something you probably already know. We can't physically examine your pet, and that's a problem. And here are the reasons why. The first is that we can't listen to them. And in veterinary medicine, we call that auscultate. We have a stethoscope, and we use that to listen to your pet's heart and their lungs which are extremely important organs. And heart disease in dogs and cats is just as much a silent killer as it is in people. And I'm going to do an entire podcast on heart disease because it's so important. And the only way to truly diagnose heart disease initially is to listen for a heart murmur. You can't do that over a video or telephone. Now in saying that, there's some amazing new technology where they've actually come out with Bluetooth stethoscopes. And your veterinarian or your human doctor, in the case of human medicine, will be able to listen to the heart and the lungs remotely. That's going to be exciting stuff in the years to come. The second problem with not being there to physically examine your dog or cat is that we can't palpate or feel their abdomen. And there are a lot of important organs in the abdomen that we can assess when we're examining your dog or cat, like the kidneys, especially in cats, and the bladder. And sometimes we can feel the liver if it's enlarged, and even the spleen. The third problem involves working up a pet for lameness, for instance. I mean, I can see on a video that a pet is lame, but I would need to examine them physically in order to be able to diagnose things like a torn cruciate ligament or a luxating patella. The fourth problem is that I can't feel a pet's lymph nodes, which to me is a window into their immune system. And finally, we have specialized equipment that we can use on pets that's impossible to use remotely. And if you listen to my seventh podcast where I talked about Chip and his glaucoma, I could have seen that Chip's eyes were abnormal on a video, but I would need to get out my tonopen, a specialized piece of equipment to measure intraocular pressure in order to diagnose Chip with glaucoma. Speaking of equipment... That's the second reason why we're limited to some degree with telemedicine. For example, in telemedicine, we don't have access to an x-ray machine. We don't have access to surgical equipment 
so we can't do any elective or non-elective surgeries, and we don't have any lab equipment where we can go ahead and analyze blood or urine. And last but not least, it's obvious that we can't give vaccines remotely, so you would definitely have to go to your veterinary office for those. So where is telemedicine useful? Well, it's actually useful in a number of situations. Let's go over them. Number one, let's face it, only a small majority of clinics are open long hours. Most clinics on weekdays are typically open till about 6 or 8 p.m. And when it comes to the weekends, most clinics are only open until early afternoon on Saturday, and the majority are closed on Sunday, which means that if you have a problem with your pet on most weekday evenings and pretty much most of the weekend, you have one choice and one choice only, and that's taking them to an emergency clinic. And thank goodness for emergency clinics when you have a true emergency. But what if you don't? What if your pet's just not well during the hours when most regular clinics are closed? Wouldn't it be nice if you could talk to a veterinarian and solve the problem now instead of having to wait till the next day? Minor conditions of the skin, the ears, the eyes, the legs are all things that can be dealt with via telemedicine. These dogs and cats are uncomfortable and we can make them better. And owners like the fact that their pet gets treated a lot quicker than they would if they had to go to an emergency facility. Number two, in the past couple of years since the pandemic began, veterinary clinics have been absolutely swamped thanks to the influx of new pets during COVID. And a lot of veterinarians during regular business hours may not have any extra time to see your pet for a minor problem like an ear infection or some skin irritation. And that's where telemedicine can also come into play. Number three is triaging for emergencies. This is a huge one. And it kind of reminds me of what happens to us when we go into the emergency room of a human hospital. You first see the triage nurse who asks you all the pertinent questions to get a good history. And then they typically take your temperature and your blood pressure to check your vitals. And they can make a really good assessment at that point, whether you can sit for a moment in the queue or whether they have to take you in right away. So here's a real life example of how triaging by veterinarians on a telemedicine service has really helped an Ontario veterinary emergency clinic. This emergency clinic has turned over all their calls to a telemedicine service. And I'm one of the veterinarians that answers some of these calls on this service. Within five or 10 minutes of starting a video call, I can tell whether a pet is having a true emergency or not. And if they are, then I get in touch with the emergency clinic right away. And because of my recommendation, they'll let the animal in immediately because they know it's serious. But if it's not an emergency, then I can start treating the animal via telemedicine and it saves the emergency clinic from having to deal with 50 pets with a skin irritation while one pet needs surgery immediately. It's a beautiful system and I love the fact that owners get help right away and if they have a true emergency, then they get to go to the emergency clinic and they know that their pet is truly having an emergency. The reason why this system works so well is because when something happens to your pet, it's an emergency to you and you wanna see someone right away. But if you go to the emergency clinic, it's just like a human hospital. 
you have to wait in line with the 50 other people that are there that are also thinking it's an emergency. And so the advantage of triaging is it really helps you in both ways. If it's an emergency, you get in right away to the emergency clinic. And if it's not, the telemedicine service can help you. And here's the best part. I've had animals that are in extreme pain, but not in an emergency. And I'm able to write out a script and have them go to the emergency clinic and pick up the medication from the emergency clinic. I just remember the one time I was sitting in a hospital and I heard this poor guy screaming in pain and he had gout, which is extremely painful condition and he had it in his foot and he was just in agony. And you know what? He had to wait for hours before he got pain medication. And that's because the emergency doctors were so busy with true emergencies that this poor guy couldn't get pain control. So imagine if they had a triage doctor, not a nurse, an actual doctor who could actually prescribe painkillers for this gentleman and alleviate his pain much quicker than he actually got the pain control. As a veterinarian, I feel so empowered being able to alleviate pain in dogs and cats instead of having them wait for hours at an emergency facility because it's not an emergency. And that to me is the magic of telemedicine. Number four, I think that telemedicine could go hand in hand with bricks and mortar practices. They can work together. And the reason why I say that is because there's things that bricks and mortar practices may not be able to provide their clients. One example that comes to my head right away is that certain veterinarians practice only Western medicine. Well, what if you only wanted a natural therapy for your pet? You don't want to leave your regular veterinarian, and you shouldn't. But you could call a telemedicine service that's experienced with natural medicine and potentially get a natural therapy for your dog or cat. Number five, there are so many behavior problems in dogs and cats, and almost all of them can be solved with telemedicine. And I've saved the best for last. I'm now going to tell you about a style of telemedicine that eliminates every disadvantage that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. And that style of medicine is my wheelhouse and the whole reason why I started the Pet Wellness Advocate movement. I want to encourage pet owners to not just seek out veterinary help when their pet has a problem, but instead seek out a strategy that will prevent problems from happening in the first place. And prevention is 100% doable with telemedicine. I do not need to see a dog or cat in person on video in order to discuss preventative strategies. I just need their advocate, which is you. And I want to finish off by giving an example of a situation where prevention via telemedicine could be so helpful for a specific disease that has bothered me for over 25 years. And this disease happens to be extremely common in breeds like Bichon Frise, Yorkshire Terriers, and Miniature Schnauzers. So anybody out there listening that has one of those three breeds, please pay close attention as I think what I'm going to say is really going to help you. Probably about 25 years ago, I saw my very first case of bladder stones in a dog. And by the way, they occur in cats as well. 
and bladder stones start out as just crystals forming in the urine. And the crystals stick together and get bigger and bigger until eventually it forms a stone. And they cause typically blood in the urine and straining. They come in like they're having a bladder infection. The only difference is when you x-ray them, they have this nice big stone or multiple stones in their bladder. And there are many different kinds of stones, and I'm not going to get into those right now. But the one that is the biggest problem, in my opinion, are calcium oxalate stones. Because the only way you can deal with those is to surgically remove them from the bladder. Well, I remember that first dog. It was a lovely male Bichon Frise. Anyway, we did the surgery. And he did famously, recovered well. We took his stitches out 10 days later and started him on a diet that is designed to prevent calcium oxalate stones in dogs. Case closed, right? And you know what? It was. But a year and a half later, the dog was back again with some more bladder stones. And we went into the surgery room for another time. Fast forward another year later, and I was in for a third time. Now, I will say this. There are certain dogs that just love to make stones. And even on preventative diets, we'll sometimes get them. But that's a small percentage. 95% of dogs that I've done calcium oxalate stone surgeries on that go on the right diet, I never see them ever again for that problem. The problem with this dog is that was not the case. The reason why this dog kept coming back for bladder stone surgeries is that her owner kept switching him back to his old food because she felt the veterinary food was a little too expensive. So I sat down with this owner after the third surgery because I was very frustrated. And I got out a sheet of paper and I spent about an hour with her going over the numbers because I did not want to see this dog back again for this problem. I don't remember the exact prices of the foods because that was more than 20 years ago. But I do have an idea of what the final tally was. So I'm going to share that with you now. The bag was over $100 and the bag of food that she was feeding her dog was only $30. So I calculated how many cups of food she would have to feed her dog every day of the veterinary food. I subtracted the cost of her regular food and came up with the fact that it was going to cost her around 80 to 90 cents a day to feed her dog. We then went over the cost of one single surgery. The dog had already had three, but we just used one as a point of reference. At 90 cents a day, it was going to take her six years to make up one surgery. What's funny is the dog was six years old when we came up with that calculation. I'll just say that she kept him on that veterinary food for the rest of his life and he never had a bladder stone problem ever again. So what does this story have to do with prevention and telemedicine? Well, when you've done as many calcium oxalate surgeries as I have, you start to realize that our system is a bit backward. We wait till these breeds get the stones, go through all the pain and anguish of dealing with the stones, and then we get to remove the stones surgically at a pretty high cost, and then decide that we want to prevent them from happening in the future. Well, what if I could talk to Bichon Frise owners about that before they have a problem? So I know what you're thinking. Well, does every Bichon Frise get calcium oxalate stones? And the answer is no. However, enough of them do, where if we're up to me and I had a Bichon Frise, I would have them on a special diet to prevent calcium oxalate stones. And that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. 
And remember, our pets deserve our best. If you're excited to hear more about how you can become a pet wellness advocate, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thanks for spending time with us today.